this week at Hope Point. But these things end up controlling our hearts and dominating our lives in a way that choked the word and again makes us unfruitful. Why? Because the gospel forces us to make a choice. We cannot serve two masters. You can't serve two. At, at some point, there will be a conflict between Jesus and all the things that are crowding our lives. It's not that you're disinterested in any way for the things of God. That's not the point here. It's that the things of this world have such a grip on your heart that control your life instead of Jesus. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as Ronnie speaks to us from Matthew chapter 13. I read a quote this week, and Liz, my wife, was the one that sent it to me, and it said, God calls his people to navigate the road ahead that offers great joy, exposes fears, requires sacrifice, and includes sorrow. Who has helped you prepare for these days? And as I read that, I couldn't help but to think about you, Hope Point. It was Richard. It was our elders. It has been the staff. It has been you, the body, that has prepared me for these days. This is the church that gave me a chance in ministry. This is the church that introduced me to the nations. This is the church that equipment sent me out so that my eyes may see and my heart may grieve over the people created in his image, but yet have not heard of the gospel. And now this is the church that celebrates in sending me out to continue the work that's very dear to my heart. So for that, I just want to tell you how grateful I am for you, Hope Point. I'm grateful, I'm grateful, but I want us to celebrate that. Let's celebrate it, okay? All right, enough about me. <clears throat> let's make it about him. So let's, let's keep on, let's turn the page here. We're gonna dive into Matthew chapter 13, and I named the, I, I titled the, the message, Seeds, Soils, and Souls. Um, if you've been around the block with church, uh, you, you know this, this is familiar, right? Um, and, and it's familiar because we also see this in several of the Gospels. We see this not only in Matthew 13, but also in Mark chapter 4. We see this in Luke chapter 8. And for the most part, it, it's, it's a parable that's usually taught as, as foundational truths to understanding the mission of the church when it comes to evangelism. And it's a good one. I, I love it. It's good. There's endless books now that have been written and, and studies about um, the mission of the church. And, and when you start looking through all the studies and all the, 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 the concerns and, and all the, the, the focus that has been put into this, it's interesting to see that the church continues to be confused about what it is, what it should be, and what it should do. Now, this week, over well, the last couple of weeks, I'm very thankful for some of these great teachers, several great teachers that um, have influenced my preparation for this week. Um, very grateful for them because through the leading of the Holy Spirit and their love for teaching God's word, they helped me better understand what I'm about to teach today. So I hope you're encouraged by it. But here's the thing. I don't want us to leave here today 
with an, another lesson on methodology. Like, that's not the point today, right? If we leave here just focused on what we should do without the scriptures impacting who we should be, then we've missed the entire message. Because as followers of Christ, our doing is an overflow of our being, not the other way around. What we do is shaped by who we are, and who we are is revealed by the fruitful soil of our hearts in a lifelong response to God's word. And the way we respond to Jesus is going to always depend on the way we see Jesus. So whether you're a follower of Christ here today or, or you're not, I'm, I'm glad you're here either way. Because the message on the parable of the sower is not just about our salvation, but also about our sanctification. So my prayer this week, my prayer this morning was that we not only hear and see his truth today, but that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he would work in the soul of our hearts so that the seed of the gospel may open our eyes, deepen our roots of faith, and produce fruit. That's my prayer. So let me give you a little background. Let me set this up for you. Matthew chapter 13. Now, for centuries, the, the nation of Israel had been awaiting, you know, they've been awaiting the Messiah, their deliverer. But when the king arrives, he did not please them. And they rejected Jesus. And although they, he was being rejected, no one really denied his miracles. Most people recognize that he even performed the miracles by God's power, but while they acknowledge the divine source of Jesus' miracles, they completely missed it. They missed the Messiah. They refused to recognize that he himself was a divine source. As I was studying this week, one commentary said, not seeing the Messiahship of Jesus in his words and works, they separated the fruit from the tree. And again, although this rejection was escalating, he still remained quite popular around the multitudes because of his miracles. Now, I started thinking through this, and can you imagine being one of the disciples and being there, and you're, you're there with the Messiah. You're there, you're hearing him teach with authority. You're hearing him not only teach, but you're seeing him do the miracles. And, you, and you're there, and I can only imagine how difficult it must have been for the disciples in trying to understand why so few were believing in the Messiah. I mean, they were there. They saw it with their own eyes, and those who truly believed in Jesus must have wondered, why? Why is the majority of our people rejecting Jesus? Even after maybe they, they've responded with excitement at first, I mean, they, begin, they just continue to dwindle down. And, and as a matter of fact, by the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, we've heard this before. The band of followers were only about 500 in Galilee and 120 in Jerusalem. That's it. So Jesus knows this. So his, just to help his disciples understand what cost, like the cost of Israel's growing rejection he begins to, um, he creates a, a, 
a parable. Now, he also understands that the multitude, the people that were there, were also farmers for the most part. So he creates this parable that's drawn out of the agricultural world of the first century. Matthew chapter 13, if you're following. Here we go. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. Quite interesting because from this point forward, Jesus begins to address the multitude in nothing but parables. So he begins to address them and many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop, 160, 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now let's stop for a second. Because I don't know about you, but when I read this, it kind of seems like Jesus does a mic drop on everybody right there. Right? I mean, he, he, he begins, he quickly mentions a farmer's seeds and four soils, and then he lands the plane by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. So, I mean, I can only imagine, or at least maybe it, was, it would be me, but if I'm one of the disciples, I would probably just be looking at him like, what just happened? Like, what was that? Did anybody pick up on, what was that about? So to help us understand, we need to revisit what a parable is. And in its simplest form, a parable was a short story that communicated a spiritual truth. That was a parable. Now, the term parabole, which comes from, not peribolier, parabole, <laughs> comes from two Greek words, para, meaning the alongside of, and bala, which means to place or lay. So the idea of a parable, the idea behind the parable was to make a comparison by placing something alongside something else for the sake of an illustration or maybe an explanation. That's a parable. So Jesus then tells this parable and his disciples are confused. And we know this because of what they did next. The disciples came to him and asked, why, why do you speak to the people in parables? Like, why do, you, why do you speak to people in parables? Now, this is a deeper question than what it seems because the disciples weren't just asking, like, what, it, what did it really mean? Like, what the parable really meant? They were really asking probably the same question that I know I asked, and maybe some of us ask here, God, why, why are you so confusing? Like, Jesus, why? Like, why can't you just be more clear? Why do you speak to people in parables? And I love Jesus because he, being Jesus, says, okay, well, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. 
Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And then he goes on to quote Isaiah 6. And he says, And them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For these people's heart have become callous, and they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Heal them. And he says, but blessed are you. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Now, when we first read this, some may interpret this as Jesus kind of saying that he speaks in parables because he intentionally doesn't want people to understand. That he speaks in parables because he, does, he intentionally wants to confuse people. But we need to pause for a second and we need to unpack what Jesus is really saying here. Because we said that the idea of a parable, the idea behind the parable was to make a comparison. To make a comparison that for the sake of an illustration. That's the idea. Now, the purpose of a parable was to reveal and to conceal. What Jesus is saying here is, I speak in parables to reveal truth to those who are willing to listen. And I speak in parables to conceal truth from those who refuse to listen. Let's just focus on one at a time. Reveal truth to those who are willing to listen. Well, we, we see this. We see, this is why he said to his disciples in verse 11, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Revealing. Then we see it again in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Now this is, very important because what he's trying to say here is that they couldn't just naturally figure out this on their own. The revealing of truth to those that are willing to listen is not something they could do themselves. They couldn't figure out how God was working out this redemptive plan throughout society and throughout history. And this is why the gospel throughout the New Testament at times is described as a secret or a mystery because it, it has to be revealed by God. And at any time that you leave here on a Sunday and you, you are impacted or you're, you're changed by the message. Like you leave here and you're like, man, that was good. Maybe not today, but typically, right? That was good. Anytime that happens, I just want you to know that it's not because of Richard's preaching. Like, we praise God that we have a gifted teacher of God's word. Praise God for that. That is a God-given gift. But just understand that he does not have the power to reveal, or anybody that teaches from up here, to reveal these truths to you. 
So anytime that happens, anytime that there is change, anytime that there's, you feel like, they're, they're, man, this, this really has impacted me. I just want you to know that it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And all the preacher, whether Richard or me or somebody, anybody else, all they can do is to faithfully just cast seeds and then marvel at God doing what only God can do. So Jesus reveals truth to those willing to listen, but he also conceals truth from those who refuse to listen. We need to ask why. We need to ask why would he conceal truth from those who refuse to listen? And, and we know this is true because he doesn't, okay. We know that in concealing truth, from those who refuse to listen, it's not that he doesn't want them to know truth. Like, that's not the point of that. And, and, and the reason for that is because he is truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm alive. He is truth. He came to proclaim truth, to demonstrate the truth. So then why? Why would he conceal? Well, we see this, get a glimpse of it, in what Jesus prays in Matthew chapter 11, Verse 25, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. This is not literally little children. These are people that humble themselves and become like children. Yes, Father, but this is what you were pleased to do. So this is what you were pleased to do. In other words, it is by God's design. God, this is by your design. Because in your kingdom, humility is a prerequisite for understanding. We have to humble ourselves in order to fully understand the things of God. And what Jesus is getting to here is that our pride and resistance can keep us from understanding what God has clearly revealed. We need to be careful. Because when we resist when we resist God long enough, sometimes in his judgment, our hearts become hard and he will withhold further insight until we humble ourselves and trust him. They'll miss it here. The reason for that is that Jesus is not about being figured out. He's not about being figured out. He wants to be loved and understood. It's not about being figured out. He wants to be loved, not just understood. And part of what Jesus is saying is the reason I speak in parable is because I'm not trying to be figured out. I'm trying to be in a relationship with my people. To reveal and to conceal. If you think about it, this is what the gospel message does. Right? It forces us to make a decision. And it makes us wrestle with the question, Will I trust Jesus based on what I understand or will I reject him because of what I don't know? See, it's not primarily about proof. It's about trust. And we see this humility and this trust illustrated by the disciples because the reality is they didn't always understand, right? I mean, as a matter of fact, if you read through the gospel, there was a lot of things they didn't understand. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. 
All right? It encourages me because I have my fair amount of doubts, amount of questions. And Jesus doesn't push them away. In their humility, you know, when a disciple had a doubt they, and they still trusted Jesus enough, Jesus drew them close to himself. Now, from this point on, Jesus begins to explain the actual parable of the sower. He explains what it means. And, and, and many of you have heard this parable before, right? Whether the, it's called the parable of the swords, the parable of the soils. You know, we, we've heard it before. And, and like I mentioned earlier, most of the times when you read or hear a sermon about the parable of the sower, it, the soils are labeled in four ways, right? And they're labeled in ways that represent the human heart and our receptivity, how we receive the seed, the souls are labeled the hard heart, the shallow heart, the divided heart, and the humble or fruitful heart. And I want us to walk through these as Jesus walks through them, but I also want to add something to them. So if you would allow me just to kind of add maybe a reasoning for why the hard, shallow, divided, and even the humble heart. Because what I would, I'm trying to do, I'm, 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 whether you're a follower of Christ or not, remember, the way you respond to Jesus is going to depend on how you see Jesus. So let's walk through this parable. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means, which I love. Like he, Jesus just starts by saying, you don't understand? Let me explain. Let me explain. Not, you don't understand, get out of my face. No, let, let me let me explain what it means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to the someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to Someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So let's look through that. All right, because the first soil that is mentioned here is the hard heart, right? The hard soil, okay? And I just, I just, I would just wonder if, if the hard heart may, may be someone that sees Jesus as irrelevant, Maybe it's just someone that sees Jesus as irrelevant. Someone, maybe, maybe somewhat interested in Jesus and his things, but not at all really receptive to Jesus. It's not that they necessarily disagree with everything Jesus says. It's like there, there are some things that they appreciate about Jesus. There's some things that they see as beautiful. Some things that, they, that in, in what he teaches, they can resonate with what Jesus says about peace and, and love and kindness and some of the other things that he talks about. 
but they reject the idea that he's actually authority over all those things and authority over their lives. That all of his words dictate all of our life. They don't, these are people that don't trust him to tell them what you believe and how you to live. And, and, and so whenever they hear something from God's word that they disagree with, they just disregard it. This is irrelevant. Take it or leave it. And, and Jesus is saying, this is the hard heart. And there's this spiritual, deeper spiritual hardness at work here. And he's talking about Satan is actively taking advantage of that right there. So in other words, it's just to say that when, you, when you've hardened yourself towards Jesus, then humbling yourself before him, Satan will make your doubts unexplainable. I mean, beyond comprehension. And he'll flood you with maybe distractions. And the gospel then becomes irrelevant. It's something that we're just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. And it's not that you don't hear. It's not that that person doesn't hear God's word. It's that the goodness and the wisdom of his word doesn't sink in into the heart. And Jesus is saying, don't let your heart get there. Don't let it get to that place. Trust Jesus with what you do understand and allow him to give you more understanding over time. The hard heart. The hard heart, Jesus is irrelevant. The second soul that is talked about is the shallow heart. Now in the shallow heart, I wonder if the shallow heart maybe sees Jesus just like a, a trend. Something cool. Just a trend. You remember growing up, all about the next cool thing. I got, I, I have a 12-year-old, an 11-year-old. Like, I'm, I'm seeing that. I'm like, okay. Makes me think a little bit, but, you know, like you see it. It's, what's the next cool thing? And for some people, Jesus, it's just that. It's a trend. And, and, and you're fine following Jesus as long as it fits in into your life. It fits into what you want. As long as, uh, as uh, things, they, they seem like they're sweet and awesome and are up and they're right and, and you're fine following Jesus like that. But the moment it requires you to stand out, you fold. That person with a shallow heart folds. And, and the shallow heart is the scariest heart of them all when it comes in, you know, to, to pastoring. You know why? Because this is the one that at first receives it, the, the, the seed and, and receives it with joy. So, you know, so there's this, they, they decide to follow Jesus maybe and, and, and this person receives the gospel with joy. It's an outward joy and that's how all of us should receive the gospel, right? We should all have joy when the gospel of Christ falls into our heart. There should be joy. There should be enthusiasm. But, but for these group of people, what I think has actually happened is, is, is that they're rejoicing in what they can get from Jesus. The shallow heart is very superficial in faith. They have no roots. And the soil is so thin that they're rejoicing what they can get from Jesus, but they're not prepared to suffer for Jesus. And they realize the moment they realize that this isn't going their way, they're like, I didn't sign up for this. 
I didn't sign up for this. I just signed up to become a better person. Maybe they just signed up to improve their life or to feel a spiritual connection. And even if they heard the scriptures, at some point, it never sunk in. And some people see Jesus as just a trend. Shallow heart. The third soil is the divided heart. So the divided heart maybe sees Jesus as an accessory. Something I can pick up and put down. It makes me think of my son, Daniel. I can talk about him because he's not here today. But this dude, he's about to be a teenager, and like he just loves to wear a gold chain. Everywhere he goes, he has this gold chain that he wears out. I mean, he'll forget to brush his teeth, but the gold chain is on. <laughs> and he can put that gold chain on. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? He's like, it looks good. And he can take it off whenever he wants. And it makes me think about that because it's an, it's an accessory. Something you can add on, but by definition, it's not something that's necessary, right? It may be nice, it's not necessary. It's a nice add-on. And, and there are those who hear the word and they try to hold on to the word with, and, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And there's just no way. We can't hold on to two masters. We just can't. I mean, the, the, the word of God warns us about this. And it's not that riches are evil. But if we're not careful, they can become deceitful. Things that get our attention, not only riches. But they can deceive us in trusting them for security rather than God. They can deceive us into thinking that we always need more than we already have. They can deceive us in thinking that we're better than other people and that our wealth is automatically a sign of God's favor. These are people who are trying to hold on to the word with the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things. Those things enter in and they choke the word of God and it proves unfruitful. This is really the picture, a, a, a true picture of, of the world today. Because worldliness is when we live like the things of this world are the most important things in this life. That's worldliness. And for the divided heart, these are people, they, they might not even say that they believe that, but they live that way. Their heart becomes overcrowded with the things that compete for and eventually crowd out our devotion for Jesus. And Jesus says that these things, these things that cause the divided heart, they can even be good things. But these things end up controlling our hearts and dominating our lives in a way that choked the word and again makes us unfruitful. Why? Because the gospel forces us to make a choice. We cannot serve two masters. You can't serve to, at, at some point, there will be a conflict between Jesus and all the things that are crowding our lives. It's not that this person may be a terrible person. It doesn't, doesn't mean that you're a terrible person because, no, it, it's not what it means. It's not that you're disinterested in any way for the things of God. That's not the point here. It's that the things of this world have such a grip on your heart that control your life instead of Jesus. Some people see Jesus as irrelevant. Some people see him as a trend. Some people see it as an accessory. <laughs> but for those who have been born again, for those 
who have the humble and fruitful and soft soil, the fruitful heart. For those who are Christian, Jesus is king. He's king. This is the humble heart that received the word, the good soil, the receptive soil, hears the word and accepts it and bears fruit. And listen, this is crazy because the word of God says that it yields a crazy, like it's a miracle, the yield of the harvest. Like we got to understand, and we've heard this before, we have to understand that it, it was usually like a seven, eight fold. And Jesus is saying that it's a supernatural harvest. It's a miraculous gift. It's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. In other words, the harvest, this fruit that you cannot produce in your own human energy and ability, this is something that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit in the human heart. And Jesus says that this is what I do in the heart of somebody who humbles himself before my word, who trusts in me enough to obey and to submit into my word even when they don't fully understand. It changes your life. So the question that we need to ask is, who, is, who has an honest or good heart? Who, who is this that has this honest? Apart from Christ, none of us have this heart. I mean, the scripture reminds us that we were born sinners, separated. We, we go astray. We don't have a chance on our own. We're wretched. So who's got the honest heart? The person that has the honest and good heart is someone who God has reached in and grabbed the heart of stone and ripped it out and given them a new heart, given them this heart, his heart. That's the honest and good heart. That's the humble and fruitful heart. In other words, this is the person that has surrendered their life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The humble heart. And we praise God when we see that. In our own lives, in the lives of others, isn't it just exciting when we see people growing and people surrendering and people just like, you just, you just get, they get excited, we get excited for them. You're like, man, I, that, they just grown so much and it's beautiful and we praise God for that. We praise God when this begins to happen because there are these things that are coming out of this person that they didn't even know that we're in there. And here's the point of the whole thing. The whole point of that is that the condition of the soil, not merely the delivery of the seed, is what determines the growth. It's the condition of the soil. So my question for us today, if that is true then, which it is, is what steps, what's our responsibility? What things can we do, we need to do to cultivate our relationship with Jesus so that this happens? Because you got to remember, our responsibility, according to this parable, is our receptivity to the seed. So let me speak to non-believers for just a second. Non-believers, if you're here and you're saying, well, I, I just, I don't even know, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't even know how to cultivate that. Well, praise God. We're glad you're here. I mean, we're, we're, we, we are. We're glad you're here. And here's what I would tell you to do. Surrender your life 
to the Lordship of Christ before you think you have to have it all figured out. You won't figure him out. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Jeremiah 29 says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. God is not playing hide and seek with people. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. As a matter of fact, he's seeking after us. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. So I ask you to lean in. Lean in and surrender before you even try to figure him out. Now, I'm going to transition real quick to believers, followers of Christ. And I'm running out of time again. Followers of Christ. I think a part of the reason that Jesus taught parables or in parables is because they couldn't go home and study the text, right? Like, so what he did was actually share a story. And every time they saw, like every time that the farmer went out, it would be um, a reminder of the story. And depending on the stage of life they were in, it would teach or reteach them a different truth about God. And, and I just believe that, that the parable of the, of, of the sower is not just about salvation. It's also about our sanctification. So to Christians, I say this. My question to us, believer, is how's your heart? How is your heart? Because part of this parable is about our responsibility of receiving the word. And let me just real quick, and I'll land the plane here. If you're here and your heart is hard. I mean, you've professed Christ as your Savior. You've surrendered. And the Word of God has been deeply grounded into your, your, your life in the past. But for whatever reason, you're in a season where the Word of God hits your heart right now and just falls off. If that's you, if that's you, and you like, yeah, I have a hard heart. One of the things that you can do to cultivate the soil, to cultivate your heart, is just worship. Just start there. Start worshiping. And I'm not talking about just singing at services here, but worship anytime you see yourself in light of who God is. Anytime you see yourself in the hands of an almighty and sovereign God and that we deserve eternal punishment, worship. Because when we see that his grace and mercy and everything has fallen upon, upon us, this everlasting love, there is something just amazing that happens when we fix our eyes on him and we say, wow, instead of why this, Lord, why not? Why not? And that's hard, and I understand. But I would say, just worship. Worship. Now, to the shallow heart, rocky ground. Now, you, you, you don't have deep roots right now. That's right, right? So, so when trouble comes, you just fall over. This is what you need to do. If that's you, we're glad you're here. Just right now, for some reason, I just feel shallow. Then I encourage you, I encourage you 
to get rooted with others around you. Get plugged in into community. Get plugged into a community group here and allow people to care for you and challenge you and love you and hold you up when you can't hold up. Let people love you well. It reminds me, one of the things I love about when I used to live in Florida was all the palm trees. Any palm tree lovers here? Like, I love palm trees. Like, I see a palm tree and I'm like, ah, it just brings me peace. And one of the things about I love about palm trees is, is not only their beauty, but if you notice when you plant a palm, a palm tree, you know, they, they have these posts around, right, to help it stand up. And that's what community group looks like around here. In order for you to get rooted, you need others to help you stand when you can't stand alone. So the shallow heart, I encourage you, get plugged in. Now, for the divided heart, the reality is very few people would actually admit that they have a divided heart. But if that's you, my, I, that's okay. I'm so glad. But I, I would just say, if you're caught up in the cares of the world and in the deceitfulness of things and riches, maybe one of the things that you can do to prune back the thorns to try to, that try to choke you out, maybe one of the things is to be radically generous. Like you want to realize how much control that has over you, pick a number that'll make your heart stop real quick and give that. Just be radically generous. Or, or do something radically in serving people. Get plugged in serving someone here. If you're not plugged in in serving, you're missing out. Like radically generous, not only in your money, but in your time, in your gifts, and serve other people. And watch what God does through that and for you that you're here <laughs> you're the humble heart fruitful heart praise God we're grateful that that's real and it's okay to be there it's so like don't feel bad about that it's okay for you to say you know what I'm just in a good season I'm just seeing God's faithfulness over. And when I hear his word and I read his word, I just come alive and it's like I'm loving what God is doing. If that's you, praise God. You don't have to hide that. You can admit that. You're growing in your relationship with Jesus. But here's what I would say to you. Don't get lazy. Don't get lazy. You will never neglect your way into an abiding relationship with God. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen in your marriage, does it? Gotta work at it. But don't get lazy. As a matter of fact, maybe, maybe one of the other things that you can do is, is if that's you, maybe it's time for you to step up and lead something. Maybe lead a community group and allow someone else to grow. Allow someone else. You just influence someone else. Let, allow God to use you to help someone else grow. If that's where you are, don't get lazy. Praise God. But man, use it for his glory. It's not for you to keep. Use it for his glory. Wow. It's time to go. Let me, um, let me just land the plane with this today. How's your heart? How's your heart? 
Like if you leave here today and it stays here. You missed it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm asking, I'm, I'm begging God that he will open your eyes and open your ears, your ears, that he may reveal truth and that today may be the day where you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I pray that. But if you're a believer, how's your heart? Surrender. Wherever you are, he'll meet you right where you're at. And just as he did with the disciples, he'll draw you in close to him. And he'll love you and he'll help you if you're willing to humble yourself and answer, how's your heart? We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.